Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. This is Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell. And today I'm talking about India's massive pensions crisis, which is actually the title of an episode from episode 347, my goodness, of The Seen and the Unseen, a podcast hosted by Amit Varma. And this is an economics podcast based out of India. And one of my actuarial, pension actuarial friends, uh, tagged me on this one and another pension actuary saying that, you know, this was a very thorough episode and it is. And I'm looking at the catalog of the seen and unseen. These episodes are three to four hours long. And I thought I was pushing it with these half hour podcasts. And don't worry, I am not going into these three hour long episodes. I, it takes a long time for me to edit these podcasts myself. Maybe the AI will get there so I don't have to do it. But as it is, it takes me a lot, a lot of time just to edit down the audio podcast. In any case, on this episode of episode 347, India's Massive Pensions Crisis, and this is the description from the page, and I'll drop it in the show notes, it might seem to be a subject that would interest only wonks and retirees, but pensions can reshape an entire society. Ajay Shah and Ranuka Sane join Amit Varma in episode 347 of The Seen and the Unseen to explain why and to take a deep dive into the crisis India is facing right now. Now, they go into a lot of the details of things that I have gone over with regards to pension policy. And a lot of what they talked about reminded me of my series of that I did earlier, I think this year, yeah, earlier this year of choices have consequences that had to do with retirement policy. And I was talking internationally, but I was looking at the um, protests in France to lower the retirement age, but also retirement benefit design, which is what a huge part of the discussion uh, between Ajay and Renuka were talking about in India. And I had no idea what, of course, retirement policy looked like in India. And they get into that. And of course, what a lot of us, I mean, actually, a lot of us in America don't think about India at all. Let's just be honest about it. We have no idea. Um, you know, we might have some <laughs> very dim ideas of what is going on there now uh, may think of Gandhi perhaps and then other things in the past but uh, no clue of where it stands now uh, perhaps an idea that it's exceeded China in population partly because China kneecapped itself with its one child policy uh, and that perhaps India is the wave of the future in terms of growth uh, but there is an issue with regards to, um, you know, they still have 
some continuing deep poverty in the country. And so you have a certain amount of the population that wouldn't even have retirement plans or any kind of personal wealth that's built up, but also some overhang from the British imperial system uh, still hanging around that influenced the Indian civil service that had a defined benefit, like a traditional pension plan. And so my understanding, they've kept talking about the OPS, old pension scheme or old pension system. Um, and it probably had a different technical name, but we'll just keep calling OPS and NPS. And of course, Americans don't like the term scheme. Scheme has this uh, nefarious connotation to it as something underhanded, but in like the British usage, it just means system or like uh, with regards to pensions and that kind of thing. But we'll just say, I'll just say system instead of scheme uh, because I don't intend it to have a negative connotation. So the old pension system and the new pension system, OPS and NPS. So the old pension system had a 50% of final pay defined benefit and I believe inflation indexed. And similar to the U.S. Uh, public pension, so these would be civil servants based on states, and they're Indian states, uh, it is a federal kind of system that uh, you have different states that are responsible for paying these pensions. And of course, some of the states would have better financial wherewithal to pay those benefits than others, just as in the U.S., Unlike the U.S., evidently in India, some of those Indian states actually really couldn't pay those benefits and therefore did not. We haven't hit that yet with states like Illinois, though we're expecting that at some point. Um, at least the projections show that, that they're not going to be able to make the full pension payments. Or in their discussion, uh, Ajay and Renuka were talking about, well, there already were adjustments made in terms of, say, cost of living adjustments were taken away. The retirement age was raised. And that's similar to saying cutting pension benefits. And kind of true and kind of not true, but I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to focus on India and what's going on in India. So first off, you had these civil servant pensions um, and some of them bankrupting some of the states. Well, the states didn't have the money and evidently they don't have municipal bonds the way we have with states here or no one would front them the money so you don't have to worry about bondholders there are none no one is foolish enough to give them money evidently so uh you don't have that hanging over the states there just wouldn't have been any cash to go into the pensions um and politically, you just can't have the money going into the pensions if there's just no money to go around. Uh, that is my understanding. And so a new pension scheme or NPS, new pension system, was developed, which was a defined contribution. So Ajay Shah evidently was involved in the development of this uh, NPS, this defined contribution plan. And they get into the various details of how to design it and also to open it up to private plans to the general public. And 
talking about the problems of implementation in terms of it was supposed to be the same dog fooding it of course is buzz terminology meaning that you have to eat your own dog food that everybody was going to be in the same plan and that includes the government employees but evidently that's not how it actually was implemented and there was still a segregation between the civil servants the government employees and the private sector plans or the outside the formal sector economy as it were that not everything was available to everybody in the same way so there were all sorts of details with regards to the defined contribution plan. Um, and that also reminded me of some of these state-based IRAs in the U.S. Uh, that have been developed, implemented in just a handful of states in the U.S. And unfortunately, it tends to be in the states that have the worst funded defined benefit public pension plans, which makes you go uh maybe there's something else you guys should be focusing on rather than developing a system of iras for the public um or 401ks for the public if they don't have them um it's kind of weird in terms of priorities but again back to india so evidently there's been some political risk in terms of government employees, of course, are not terribly happy that their defined benefit pensions were taken away from them, especially with certain timing. Uh, the defined benefit portion was frozen. It's not clear to me the way they described it, whether the ones who are already in the plan continued to accrue DB benefits or it was frozen at you know that particular year and then they had future benefits that were in the DC plan. Um, again, not clear to me for the government employees however um and and that's a difficult one so there's a lot of transition pain well evidently some of the politicians in various parties and again i don't know what the different political parties are in india obviously i'm sure this is a parliamentary system and they've got lots of different parties uh, unlike the u.s situation therefore maybe trying to buy votes of the civil servants by saying hey we'll bring back the db pensions there is a problem though because if you're bringing them back and then you have all of these assets that were accrued in the defined contribution plans those dc assets belong to the participants not to some big pool of assets like you have with a db plan and Renuka, I think, was specifically going on about that of, you know, this belongs to the participants. You can't claw that back in terms of legal ownership. And that makes the bankruptcy much more likely in terms of the states. They're not going to be able to afford paying the pension benefits. So because Ajay and Renuka were there talking with Amit Verma in the podcast, they don't necessarily have to read from the own show notes and links, but I can because I could follow the links from his own show notes. So there's all sorts of references here uh, from things that Ajay, um, so these are economists who have written a lot, of course, and academic economists, uh, of course, and have Ajay in particular has all these publications. So I can read some of them. So here is one from Business Standard. 
uh, dated December 3rd, 2018, stay the course on the NPS. So India has very few civil servants, but they are generously paid. The traditional civil servant's pension was extremely expensive. In the late 1990s, these problems were understood, which led up to the NPS reform. The NPS was a fiscally expensive solution for one generation. There was a loss of continuity in the reforms, and the armed forces drifted into one rank, one pension, OROP. Now we see some complaints by young civil servants who do not like the scheme. Every political leadership from 2002 onwards has fought for the NPS. We must stay the course. Then I'm going to jump over the issue of... Uh, hiring, the traditional civil servant's pension was a defined benefit at about half of the wage at retirement. In the 1990s, there was an explosive trajectory of sharp growth in pension expenditures, particularly with the armed forces and the railways. Pension payments were growing much faster than wage payments. A promise to pay a monthly pension is akin to a government bond with monthly coupons. A key milestone in this journey was the estimation of the implicit pension debt. The Ministry of Finance and ADB funded a household survey through which the number of civil servants and pensioners was estimated. This was used in a paper by Surendra Dave and Gautam Bardwaj, which estimated that the implicit pension debt was about 65% of GDP. In 1999, the Ministry of Social Justice created Project Oasis, led by Surendra Dave. This designed the new pension system, NPS. The NPS was a package deal with a 10% wage hike to civil servants and a shift into a clean, defined contribution system. The staff work that led up to the NPS included discussion with the upper echelons of the Navy and the Air Force, who were enthusiastic about it, but the project planning involved doing this for the armed forces after the main system stabilized. The reform was championed by Yashwant Sinha, Jaswant Singh, L.K. Advani, and approved by A.B. Vajpayee on December 12, 2002. All recruits of the government from January 1, 2004 were to be placed into the NPS. Okay, so moving on from the history. So in this period, the Indian reforms process looked great. It was a story of empirical evidence, fundamental change, deep administrative transformation, and engagement with the entire political leadership across two rival political parties. This showcased India's ability to confront and solve difficult problems. Things look less good in the following period. So this piece, this op-ed or whatever, was written in 2018 by Ajay Shah. Um, and evidently, various political parties or party are trying to get back to OPS. Because again, um, you know, it's very, very desirable to have a defined benefit. And there's a lot, it's a very valuable promise. But how valuable is that promise if it doesn't actually get paid. So it might be politically valuable to the politician who promises it and is not around when it comes time to pay for it. 
So that is something to think about and something that I have mentioned with regards to New Jersey, Chicago. I mean, look at Detroit. The pensioners were promised something and they got something else. So that is something to think about. How valuable is that promise if it's not actually fulfilled? I mean, and there's more in this piece where he talks about um, off balance sheet liabilities, which I believe he's referring to the pensions, uh, and perhaps they were not fully valued in the government balance sheets. And that's often the case with regards to these long-term liabilities. And, and isn't that the way, whether it's Social Security, Medicare, public pensions, other kinds of promises being made by the government, and they often don't include all the costs and all the promises being made. So now I'm going to push it back even farther, again in Business Standard, again written by Ajay Shah, but this is now November 15th, 2006. So now we have, for some decades, governments worldwide were quite infatuated with ambitious, guaranteed pension programs. It was felt that a government made people very happy by guaranteeing pension in old age and that this was something that was feasible. From roughly 1980 onwards, it has become increasingly clear that the task of giving out guaranteed pension is fraught with danger. The essence of the argument is this. When a young man joins the labor force at 20, his pension at 80 depends on interest rates, asset market outcomes, and mortality changes over the next 60 years. What will interest rates be like? Will new advances in biotechnology dramatically extend the lifespan? Who knows anything about what will happen to these three aspects of the economy in the next 60 years? Many countries, particularly in Europe, made big mistakes in setting up grandiose defined benefits benefit pension systems, which made promises to all citizens. When these were created, it seemed okay, for there were only a few old people and a lot of young people. But who could have predicted what happened in the next few decades? In the event, what happened in Europe was a dramatic decline in birth rates and an increase in the number of old people. This has given rise to a situation where defined benefit pension has become a major source of macroeconomic distress. The European welfare state is dying, and mistakes in pension economics are one key part of the causes of its demise. In India, in 1995, one important policy blunder took place in the creation of the Employee Pension Scheme, EPS, by the EPFO. This is a defined benefit system. Economists in 1995 knew that this scheme was a mistake, but it was supported by trade unions and left parties. Today, the scheme has a whole of roughly 20... Okay, I'm sorry that I'm not familiar with the Indian... Um, Sorry, not familiar with Indian currency. I think it's uh, 20,000 rupees crore. Sorry, and the whole is rapidly growing in every month of inaction. In India's case, we know for sure that in the years to come, birth rates will drop and there will be an increase in the number of old people. 
Hence, even though setting up a defined benefit pension system might be politically attractive, it is surely wrong. The new pension system, NPS, that has been adopted by the government of India and by most large states is a pure defined contribution system and thus avoids this mistake. The young man joining the labor force at 20 is given a systematic planning framework where he saves money every month. The money is invested in a NAV-based system. So I think that's a net asset value-based system. There is no guarantee given by the government about what his pension at 80 will be. We know that he will do pretty well, but there is no attempt at writing down a number or a minimum level specifying what he will get. Okay, so there's more technical, and I'm sorry about the currency issue. I will need to learn uh, about that. Um, and so it, part of the problem with defined contribution, and this is the issue uh, in the uptake, people do like the defined benefit because they think they know what they will get. Oh, I will get a certain dollar amount of income, they think but you don't actually know what you're going to get because why do you care? You don't care about that. You care about what, what you're going to be able to buy. That's actually what you care about. You care about what your standard of living is. What can you buy? Um, so to a certain extent, your uncertainty, a certain uncertainty goes away under defined benefit. However, uh, you know, if there's inflation and your defined benefit is not indexed for inflation, then you may not be able to buy what you thought you were able to buy. You know, you're not guaranteed what you thought you were guaranteed. Or, as I said, it, you know, they, they may say this is what you're promised to get, but there is a non-zero probability that you will not get it because it is an infeasible promise that the employer, whether it's a private employer or a governmental employer, seriously cannot afford to pay that benefit because it's, you know, too generous in that, you know, it's in the way that it's provided for. I liked how the benefit I had at TIAA as an employee was kind of indexed between being a defined contribution in that I knew a certain percentage of my base salary was getting contributed to, you know, a fund that again, I own, you know, it's wealth for me that's being accumulated. So the amount being contributed is defined. However, there are certain income guarantees because these are retirement annuities. Now, there's variable annuities and there are fixed annuities. And I got to say, just because I was in the actuarial department, the guarantees on the fixed annuities, especially in the low interest rate environment, are very low. I mean, we couldn't overpromise what the income would be. To be sure, most of the people that had annuitized upon their retirement did get dividends well beyond the guarantee base, even in the low interest rate environment um, because of the way TIA is set up. 
And I didn't appreciate Amit or Ajay, I think it was Ajay, uh, of the way you guys were demonizing the insurance companies. Now, nah, I'm just kidding. Um, I do understand wanting to open up and to separate the asset management or the fund management portion of the defined contribution plan versus the aspect of when you take retirement income and maybe you want to buy an annuity and annuitize. That should be a totally different thing. And maybe when you accumulate that accumulation phase can be separate from the decumulation phase of when you're taking uh, the retirement income and those can be totally different things and there's a lot of different ways to approach that that said I mean I'm looking at this 2006 paper and there's so many numbers in this and people will look at this and say oh my gosh there's so many numbers I have such a headache versus, well, I understood the prior plan, it was 50% of final pay. But all of the stuff and all of the problems of that 50% of final pay is hidden from them. Uh, those of us who are very well aware of the problems define benefit pensions of like spiking um, and all of the political risks that are involved and how difficult it is to fund uh, a defined benefit, um, benefit, uh, pension like that, um, and all of the ways it can fail versus all of the ways defined contribution plans can fail, uh, that there's not been, uh, a possibility of some kind of blended benefit where there's a partial guaranteed income portion. So this is kind of what I like, and I had come around to, I kind of like that Social Security, it's not much of a benefit, frankly, uh, but it is a guaranteed, it is inflation indexed, and it is kind of indexed with wages. It's a, it's a floor, and the whole point of Social Security was to prevent senior poverty, and that seems to have worked very well, but it's never been intended to be your sole source of retirement income, and that's the part that a lot of people forget, um, but you could have that as part of your core guarantee. You can build up some other core guarantee funds, whether annuities, a defined benefit pension, but a very small bit. This is the thing. It, if you can build up pieces talk about diversification diversification of retirement income sources and another thing they mentioned and i was talking to somebody the other day it's like i wouldn't be surprised it wouldn't shock me if i live to be 500 years old i know that sounds insane right now but uh yes i'm a big science fiction reader since childhood and i can imagine such possibilities um someone mentioned having um immortality escape velocity in terms of curing certain situations and conditions um, some people consider it unthinkable well i do not uh it is a possibility now it's not it's kind of way out there uh currently but if you don't consider possibilities of longevity or, of course, heightened mortality, that's the other side of the coin, and how that may affect macroeconomics, because unfortunately, we're seeing this with France right now, and they're too low retirement age. You cannot have these defined benefit pensions 
at the guarantee levels at too low retirement ages. The guarantees are just way too expensive then, and you're just not able to pay for them. Um, and something will break. The, of course, the cliche is something that cannot continue will not. And if it's not affordable, and evidently in India, in some of the states, they had run into it before already. I guess some people had short memories and want to attempt it again, or just will buy the votes this way by making these promises without anybody taking into consideration whether it's achievable or not. In the U.S., we haven't had a government pension failure on a big scale. It wasn't the pensions that caused Detroit's bankruptcy, after all. However, it's not like any of it's a surprise. The cost and the underfunding of pensions such as, as I said, Chicago and New Jersey and Connecticut and a lot of other places which have deliberately underfunded their pensions for a long time, we can see eroding funded ratios. We can do projections for cash flows. We can see it coming. So we can see when there's a demographic problem, and it doesn't even have to be birth rates. It can just be the tax basis um, and people moving away. So, you know, it's not just... A, a U.S. problem. There's been a problem in India. <laughs> There's a problem in France. It's a problem all over the world. And a lot of the same dynamics are pushing it. It's just in different parts of the cycle. And it's just life is difficult. <laughs> there are no magic solutions. So that is the thing. It's like politicians coming down, promising candy and ponies and magic dust that people believe that, well, oh well. Can't do much about that, perhaps, and maybe some people have to learn the hard way, and that's the only way they'll learn. Though, unfortunately, from history, we've seen what often happens is people will make up conspiracy theories and things totally unattached from reality, and come up with scapegoats. So I don't want that fiscal failure. I would rather it not happen in the first place. So anyway, uh, I will link to the po the original podcast. As I said, it's three hours long, and that's actually one of the short episodes. A lot of the other ones I saw on the list were like four hours long. Um, but I have a long commute, so it's well worth it to me. I can listen to it in one day, uh, one of the episodes. Um, lots of great e uh, economic stuff, so I loved it. Um, and there's New York City language in it. But that's been Stump, Death and Taxes. Talk to y'all later. Oh, mm -hmm.